1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 12 this morning. Had some interesting conversations last week after uh, our 1 to 8 topic for 1 Thessalonians. Several people came up to me and said, glad that was you and not me um, that had to preach on uh, this Thessalonian church that Paul loved so much that uh, uh, Paul was telling that they needed to stay away from sexual immorality. And so I would had several people tell me that they're glad that they didn't have to preach that sermon. Um, what we saw there is Paul, he, he's wanting this church that we have seen, he adores. He absolutely adores the Thessalonian church. He wants to see them grow in their godliness. He wants to see them become more and more like Jesus. And we talked last week that the process of becoming more like Jesus is called sanctification. All right, so justification is a legal term that means uh, guilty or not guilty. So when we become justified in Christ, that we become not guilty because of Christ's righteousness being given to us. Uh, but sanctification is a process that starts at that moment of justification and it continues on for the rest of our life. Uh, so you will continue to be sanctified as a believer in Christ until either the day that you die or the day that Christ returns, whichever comes first. Uh, you will constantly be continuing in this process uh, because we never arrive. You know, um, we there's always more work to be get, to be done. And um, if you ever get to the point where you think you have arrived, or if you ever come across someone who seems to think that they have arrived, it only proves that you haven't. Right? The the more um, the more that we come to be more like Christ, the more we see how far away we actually are. And so as we mature in our faith, we, we see how far away we are actually from Christ. And so it's something that never stops. Um, you know, if, if we have anybody that comes at us like, I, you know, I'm a deacon, I'm a pastor, like I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive, like, you know, I don't, I don't struggle with these things that uh, you may think that I struggle with, right? If we find ourselves with this attitude, it shows that we certainly haven't arrived. Being uh, a mature and maturing believer, uh, it just t it shows us so often how much we miss the mark. Right? God expects perfection, and we constantly miss that perfection. Um, so as we grow in our sanctification, we're going to grow in our appreciation as well. Uh, of everything that Christ has done for us. Because when we see how badly we miss the mark, we see the beauty of Christ, um, and it just becomes greater and greater. And Paul sees these people that he loves so much. He wants to see them grow in their likeness of Christ, and so he tells them to reject their sexual immorality. And, you know, they're coming out of a pagan culture that uh, probably worshipped much through sex, and so uh, Paul wants them to step away from that. He wants them to be able to control their own bodies in holiness and honor. He wants uh, them to avoid being like God, or being like the Gentiles who are far from God. Right? He, he says, these people that you've been called out of, you know, don't be like them. We want you to be like Jesus. And so last time, 
Uh, I took the time to define the parameters of sex as, uh, as we see them in the scriptures, one man, one woman, only within the confines of marriage. So anything else that deviates from that, uh, sex before marriage, extramarital sex, uh, porn, homosexuality, uh, whatever might fall into that category is something that we need to run away from the same way that Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. Uh, no matter what the consequences are for us, we need to get away from that, get that out of our life as quickly as possible. Um, and so, you know, Paul is telling these people, you are new creations in Christ. They need to get these old sin patterns out of their life because God called us not to impurity, uh, but to live in holiness. And so Paul says anyone who rejects this teaching uh, of moving out of impurity is not rejecting man, they're rejecting God. And so uh, if you hear that and then you continue to sleep around outside of your marriage, um, or if you're promiscuous uh, before you get married, or if you sleep with people of the same gender, or if you're watching things that you're not supposed to be watching while you're married, or even if you're single, then you're not rejecting Paul's teaching. You're not rejecting my teaching. Right? In the process of that, you're rejecting God. And this is what Paul wants them to understand. Right? He knows that you know, maybe this was part of your culture before, but you, you are new in Christ. And you've got to lay these old things down. And so God puts the line in the sand, says this is the only way that uh, sexuality is permitted to be experienced. And, and if you're saying through your actions that you don't care uh, what God has said, that you're going to keep doing what you want, then he's saying you're probably not a believer in Christ. So we are to move away from that. Paul's hoping that the Thessalonians will still steer away uh, from that sin struggle. And, you know, if there's any of that in, in this church, anything that you're struggling with, I'm hoping that we will steer away from that as well. Um, but for those, and this was one of the most interesting experiences that I've had as a pastor. I've never had this happen to me before. Um, after I stepped down last week, and as we were singing that last song, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that you missed forgiveness like you didn't you didn't mention forgiveness and like that didn't impact me as much as like i feeling that call but then the the realization that i possibly left someone hanging with guilt and shame hanging over their head like that's what broke me last week if you were like what is going on with this guy that's what it was like i felt like i did not tie that back into the gospel for you and that made me very sad. And so, you know, that's, uh, it's, not, it's not an unforgivable sin. It's something that we can put down and walk away from. There is forgiveness. Uh, the blood of Christ covers all sexual sin. Uh, all we have to do is repent. And God is faithful to forgive um, thanks to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so that was last week. That was a fun, uh, fun little topic uh, that had to preach through there. Um, and Paul here is going to continue this week uh, in trying to uh, grow the Thessalonian Christians in their faith. Um, and this week he's moving to a different topic. He's going to be talking to them about their love for one another. Um, he's going to commend them for the work that they have done, uh, the work that they are doing, um, but he's going to encourage them to continue doing the good work that is already present in their church. Uh, he's going to do that in verses 9 to 12, but I want to pray before we, before we read that. So let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for your word. 
I'm grateful for the promises that it makes to us. I'm grateful for the hope that we can have in it. Uh, I'm grateful for the direction that you give to our lives if we will just be people of the book. And so I pray that our eyes would be opened, our ears would be open, our hearts would be open to what you have to say for us uh, and to us here today, Lord. It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, Paul says, About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. And so what we're, we see here is a really brief section where Paul is speaking to the love that the church is showing for one another. Paul here says he doesn't need to write to them about loving one another for two reasons. He says the first reason is that they are taught by God to love one another. Now, how does this work? Well, it, it's similar to what I experienced last week where the Holy Spirit spoke to me, not audibly, but this, just this sense that I had uh, that I needed to address something that I had missed. And so this is one of the ways that God works through these people. When they come to faith in Jesus, two very interesting things happen. Number one, you come alive. All right, so if you were here a few weeks ago, I mentioned that anyone who is here who has professed legitimate faith in Jesus, you're a miracle. You're a walking miracle. Now, we, we constantly want to see God do amazing things. And every single time someone puts their faith in Jesus, they come from death to life. And it, you know, some people are like, well, my, my testimony's not great. I only, I only came to faith when I was eight and I didn't really have this huge conversion experience or whatever. But could you imagine being dead for eight years and suddenly you come alive? Like, how is that boring? All right, if you are a Christian here today, you are a miracle because you have gone from death to life through the work of Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's miraculous because it's only something that God can do. Right? You cannot save yourself. You can't muster up enough goodness in yourself. You can't climb high enough on the righteous ladder. You don't have it in you. And so the fact that God has to do it shows that it's a miracle. We cannot overcome sin and death on our own. Right? We didn't make our spirit come to life. We were provided with that opportunity, but all of that is God's doing on our behalf. So you are a miracle in here today if you profess faith in Christ. God has provided that to you and you have accepted that salvation that was offered, but you are someone who has gone from death to life, a child of wrath, to a, a co-heir with Christ. It's a miracle. And the second thing that come, happens when we come to faith, after we go from death to life, is that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Right? So we saw this when we studied the book of Acts a, a couple of uh, books ago, a little while ago, maybe two years ago. The, uh, that the church in Acts chapter 2 was suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? So there was a moment when 
that the, the Spirit wasn't present in the lives of these people. And all of a sudden, tongues of fire fall. They, they, they literally speak in tongues. And the Holy Spirit falls and fills these people. But that wasn't exactly special. Okay, we, If you read through the Old Testament, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that would happen from time to time, but it just didn't seem to be permanent. Like you would see moments when this person would be filled with the Spirit. They would do something extraordinary or they would speak truth into the lives of the people of God. And it seemed like that presence would go away. It wasn't something that was there all the time. The, um, you know, they would do that specific task. And then from that point forward, it would seem like the Holy Spirit would leave. And what's different in the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit dwells in the hearts of believers. If you look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Paul says there, uh, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Like all of a sudden you go from, again, being dead to being alive and you go from being far from God to having God residing within you. And that is amazing. All right, so the third member of the Godhead comes to dwell within us and that dwelling begins to produce fruit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, uh, 22 to 23, which says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. And so when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we're going to see this fruit begin. And, and if you notice that when we see this, that is not plural. Like This is not the fruits of the Spirit. We often say the fruits of of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. All of these things are going to begin growing in us. We're going, if we, if we have put our faith in Christ, we're going to grow in our love. We're going to grow in our joy. There will be peace and patience and kindness and goodness that flow out of us because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And when we, when we look at the words of Scripture, that also changes us because we see who God wants us to be. Right? How we respond to God's Word will influence on how well we love other people. And this is what Paul is talking to them about. He says, you're already loving people really, really well. And he wants to encourage them to continue that love. Continue loving your friends well. Continue loving your family well. Continue loving your enemies well. Right? Who, who in here could say that they could love their enemies without the presence of God in their life? Right? So when we struggle to love people the way that Paul tells us to love others, especially within the church, right? we, we have seen the love that he has. He's willing to walk back into severe persecution for this church because he cares about them so deeply. And... and when we struggle to have this love that this church seems to have just innately within them, then we should ask ourselves, does God's Spirit dwell within us? Right? We should not just assume that because we said a prayer when we were eight years old because you know, somebody at a revival meeting scared us to death, right? we should not automatically assume because we said those words that we are a believer in Christ. 
It's not a magical incantation. It doesn't automatically mean that you should never question that salvation. Right? Paul, in 2 Corinthians 13.5, he, he tells us, test yourselves in the faith. Right? We should be able to see uh, an impact of the gospel in our life. Right? Our capacity to love others will reveal much about our hearts since genuine love is a reflection of God's presence within us. So our ability to love the way that Paul has told them to love is evidence that God is at work in our life. And then when we also see our joy increase, when we also see our patience increase, when we also see our gentleness, uh, our goodness, our faithfulness, our self-control increase, these are evidences that God is at work in our life. And we see this in the church in Thessalonica. Right? Paul says, I don't even need to write this to you because you're already doing it. Right? The Lord has taught you these things. I didn't even need to teach you this because you are already doing this. Right? So, and the next thing that we see in here in this very short chapter section is that if we love the way that God tells us to love, then that love is going to go out from us and into the world. Right? In verse 10, Paul says, uh, in fact, you are doing this towards all the brothers and sisters in the region of Macedonia. And so this is a different area to where they're living. So they have taken on this idea of God's love. They have taken on the idea of loving their enemies. And their love is beginning to move out from them into uh, to their own people, the, the believers who are in other areas. And so they have, we, we talked in the new members class this morning about the difference between the lowercase c church and the uppercase c church. Right, so the lowercase c church, if you ever hear me talk about that, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about Oak Grove. Right? For us, this is the lowercase c church. But we should not think of ourselves as the only church, obviously. Right, we live in a place where there's a church on just about every corner. You probably pass three or four on your way here depending on how far away you live. When we think about those churches, we're talking about the capital C church. When I talk about the capital C church, I'm talking about all believers across all time in all locations across the world. And there needs to be in us this affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in different places. Right? It could just be you know, a street over at Central Baptist. We need to have affection for them. That affection needs to pour out where you know, we rejoice when they rejoice, we weep when they weep, and, and we try to help them because we're all on the same mission. Right? When the summit comes in and, and puts their building there on the corner, like we, should, we should rejoice that through their impact, there's going to be much uh, gospel sent out into this area. So we should show love to them and do whatever we can to bring them support. This is what this church is doing. Paul, like the, this is a fledgling church who has not really been discipled in any way, and yet they inherently know that their love should spread out to other people. They inherently know that that love should go beyond their walls, and it should go to uh, different cities, different regions. Eventually, you know, the, we, we see, because we are here, that eventually that love and the taking the gospel message is going to go into different nations and it's going to go across the world. And because of 
People like the Thessalonians, we, we can sit here in this place having heard the gospel, having responded to the gospel, and, and getting to teach the gospel. And we should take their, uh, their example and we should do similarly. We should take this message of love that we have for each other and we should put that out into the world. Right? So it's not enough for us just to love our church. We have to learn, love the church. Right? And we see here in this passage that love grows. Right? So they're pursuing God. They're doing things that uh, Paul is very proud of them. Right? To, to put up with the persecution that they have put up with. To endure the way that they have without having much teaching. And yet, he's hearing news that the, that the love that they have is beginning to grow. Right? Our, that sanctification process for them that he's calling them out to, it never stops. And he's very proud of them. He, he sees how they're doing this without instruction. They're doing it without uh, having him have to crack a whip. You know, you should love them. You should love them. You should love them. He's not doing that. He's just seeing it going out. And he says there's some ways here that you can live your life in a way that shows that love to the people. Right? He gives four things here. Number one, he says, lead a quiet life. Number two, he says, mind your own business. Number three, he says, work with your own hands. And number four, he says, do not be dependent. All right, so let's talk about these. All right, he says, to lead a quiet life. Um, one of the, the commentators are not real sure what's going on at this time in Thessalonica, um, but it seems like there is... Uh, some issues that are going on in the pu public space. Right, so you do have some of these fledgling Christians that are uh, probably going out into the public space where there's a lot of persecution and they're causing trouble. Uh, you know, maybe it's that they are being violent with their sharing of the faith. Right? Maybe they're kind of, you've heard of the Bible thumpers, maybe they're beating people over the head with this idea of salvation and if you don't you know turn or burn kind of stuff you know we don't know right this is all speculation and it's all based on this idea that they're a young congregation uh, but they're causing some kind of an uproar in the public space that's causing issues within the church it's bringing unwanted attention to the church all right so there is a right way to handle being in the lives of your neighbors is a right way to handle being a Christian at work or on the ball field or at your school or whatever your thing is. There's a right way to do that and it's not to rile up trouble. And so Paul says, hey, settle down, right? I know you've got that, uh, call it the cage stage, right? Where you get so worked up in, in the faith that you kind of should be put in a cage for a little while until you calm down a little bit. And so... Paul here is saying, you're, you need to lead a quiet life. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't share your faith. That doesn't mean that you don't evangelize those who are lost. But you do it in such a way that you're not overwhelming people with how you're acting. Right? So lead a quiet life. Let them see the reflection of Christ shine through you in a way that doesn't just you know, blow their hair back as they come near you. Right? I mean, have you ever had... Um, if you ever had these conversations, this happened to me a lot in seminary, and I actually wound up having to repent because I thought these people were very weird. Um, but, like, you can't have just a normal conversation with these people because they're so excited about Jesus. 
You know, you walk up to them and you make the mistake of saying, hey, how are you today? And it's, oh, I'm blessed beyond measure, brother. I've got more than I deserve. I got all this kind of stuff. And they start cadencing off to you and I, I, everything's a great. And you're like, whoa, dude, just chill. All right. That's a bit much. I just asked how you were doing fine would have been an acceptable answer and we could have gone on our way. Right. So, look, know your audience is basically what we're getting at here with this. Right. Lead a life that is acceptable to those around you. When you approach someone with the gospel, make sure you do it in a way that doesn't overwhelm them with it. So we don't know exactly what they were doing, but Paul says, hey, settle down. Lead a quiet life. The second thing he says is mind your own business. All right. Um, I would say that the church in our culture takes this too far. Um, we, we do nothing but mind our own business. Uh, so, in the church, we are to show love to one another. The way we do that is being in each other's life. It's not about, you know, rolling into the garage, hitting the button, letting the door come down, and never speaking to anyone outside of that. And then we come together as the church, you know, one hour a week, two hours a week, whatever it is. Um, you know, we don't ask too many difficult questions because, you know, we want to mind our own business. But... We, the conversation that we had, I think it was last week, about the difficulty of the Christian life. Like we're constantly fighting uphill, battling against our own sin nature. We're battling against our own culture. And we need the support of the church to do these things. And so, yes, mind your own business to a certain extent, but not to the extent where you're not in the life of the church. Right? Again, we don't know exactly why he said this. Right? But we, we can't take this too far. Right? I need you to be asking me difficult questions about my life because otherwise I can easily hide these things and then you know, I don't grow in my faith. And the same goes for you. Right? I mean, how many times have you been in a church where you know, every, the, the people that walk in, they've got the, the, the great smile, kids are clean, all that kind of stuff, and three years later suddenly the marriage falls apart and you're like, what happened? Right? We, did you know that they were having trouble? No, I didn't know. Did you know? No, I didn't know. Well, the problem is that we minded our own business. And so we've got, I don't know what he means by this, but when we mind our own business, we have to be careful with that. We need to be open to the idea of letting the church into our lives, and we need to be open to the idea of being in other people's lives. Uh, but when it comes to maybe certain things out in the world, maybe you don't need to be the one to make that comment every single time. Right? Maybe you don't need to be the one that jumps into the Facebook thread or whatever it is when somebody says something that you don't agree with or is maybe a little bit different and you're like, here's my opinion, it's really important, that's why I share it with everyone all the time. Right? Maybe this is more along the lines of what he's talking about. Right? We can push people away with the way that we handle things. And so maybe it's just that you don't necessarily have to share that opinion every single time the opportunity comes up. Maybe you are just that quiet, settled person in your office, in your home, that you know, like people can lean into that stability. And so maybe that's what they're talking about. So walk the line here as far as this is concerned, but mind your own business in, out in the world, but not necessarily in the church. All right, number three, he says, work with your own hands. 
So one of the things that we often think about work as being, you know, a four-letter word, right? It's something that came up after the fall. It's something that we always struggle with, don't really want to do. But the reality is, if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you know, Adam and Eve were told to work the garden. They were told to cultivate the earth, to subdue it, right? And so this idea of where we were created to work. And so we need to be constantly doing everything that we can to be able to provide for ourselves. Like in 2 Thessalonians, we're, he's actually going to call some people out for not working. And he's going to tell people, if you don't work, you don't eat. Because right? so, sometimes we can, we, can over, uh, we can be overly generous with people and we can take away their desire to work. Right? Um, this is what he's talking about in number four where he says, do not be dependent. Right? We should be willing to be open-handed with the things that we have. Now, we talked about in uh, the new members class this morning about Acts chapter 2 where it said there was no need within the entire church because people took their excess and they sold it and they gave it to people as they had need. Right? And we should be willing to do that. We should be willing to be open-handed. There should be no need in this church. What that doesn't mean is that Kelly and I run out and get, you know, a three-quarter of a million-dollar house, and we sit on our hands and we go, okay, church, I need you guys to help pay this mortgage. What you need to say then is you need to get a job. Right? And that's what Paul is talking about here. You know, this, again, this is getting into, getting into the next letter, but uh, they got into the point where they were thinking about the coming of Christ and they decided not to work. And Paul says, no, that's not how this works. You are meant to work. If you don't work, then you don't eat. So get a job, work that job, keep that job, be extremely good at that job, and don't become dependent on anyone. But also... On the flip side of that, again, walking this line, if there is a need that you have in your life, you should make that need known because the church is supposed to be there for you. Right? When, when something falls through the cracks or there's a, a loss of a job or, or you know, a death in the family or something like this and it, it puts a burden on you, right? funerals are expensive. Right? So when that happens... It's okay for us to put that out before the church and be like, hey, I need your help. I'm working, I'm doing everything that I can on my own, but this is just outpacing me. I need your help. Paul says, that's okay, but you should still be working. Right? It, it is not godly, it is not loving of us to put our burdens on someone else that we're not willing to try to carry on our own. All right, so... We can overlove somebody in allowing them to be selfish, allowing them to be lazy. And Paul is saying, do not be that. Right? You're supposed to be a shining light among the Gentiles. So don't be someone that just sits around and does absolutely nothing. You need to have a job and don't be dependent on anyone. So how are we doing? I'm trying to do you guys a favor. We went really long the last two weeks. We got really a nice, tight, con concise message today. So how are you doing? How are you doing at loving others well? Are you so self-absorbed 
in your life that there is no room for the, the love and affection of others in your life? Are you serving the church? Are you serving your neighbors? Are you helping out when people have need? How are you doing? Are you leading a quiet life? Are you minding your own business? Are you working with your own hands? Are you striving not to be dependent? This is application number two. Behave properly in the presence of outsiders. Don't bring disrepute on the church based on how you live your life. And when you do, which you will, repent. Seek forgiveness. Tell them, hey, sometimes I get a little overexcited. I didn't mean to bludgeon you over the head with the gospel. Or sometimes, you know, I get caught up in my own world and I forget to strive to reach out to others, to help others. Hey, you know, I, I got a little full of myself there. I got lazy. And I let things slip through the cracks. I'm sorry. And Paul says to behave properly in the presence of outsiders. Acts 17 says you live where you live, when you live, so that the people that God has placed around you wouldn't be far from him. And so be that for them. And when you mess up, as we will, ask for forgiveness and that will shine a beautiful, bright light on the gospel. You know, sometimes we can shine a brighter light through our screw-ups than we can through our successes. So behave well in the presence of outsiders. And lastly, do not be dependent on anyone unless you have to be. Essentially, he's just saying, don't be lazy. But there, there are times when you will do everything in your power to make ends meet. You will do everything in your power to get the work done, and you just don't have it in you and you're going to come to the end of yourself and when that happens it's okay to reach out to the church and seek help that's not what this is saying so don't take this too far the other direction but if you are sitting around on your hands if you are not doing anything if you are being lazy and expecting everyone else to keep you up then you need to get to work you got to do something this is what you were made to do all right, to sit around and to be lazy, this goes against the nature that God put into you. It's the sin nature that leans into laziness. It's the sin nature that doesn't want to do anything. And so we have to battle against that in our life, and we have to work. We have to do everything that we can to supply our own needs and do a little bit more so that you can help someone else supply their need. But Paul says, do not be dependent on anyone unless you have to be. How are you doing? Are you loving well? Are you being uh, a good uh, example of Jesus to those who are outside of the faith? And don't, are you being dependent? Something to think about as we leave this place today. What of one of those three things you could probably work on this week? And so figure that out, make a plan, and share that with someone and do something about it. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for the church in Thessalonica. I'm grateful for the love that they had for each other and the love that they had for uh, other churches in their area. And I pray, like Paul, that this church would have that same love for each other, that they would have the same love for those uh, in our community. And Lord, that this church would shine brightly in this community.
that there would be a desire to see people come to faith. There would be a desire to see people grown up in that faith to become mature and ministering worshipers of you. And Lord, I pray that we would get to see a great revival here as your spirit pours into this place uh, and that we could make much of you through that whole process. We love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.